Hello and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fan. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fan. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Aren't you thankful this morning he is for you and not against you? Amen. And as we consider that this morning, uh, we've talked, saying about the faithfulness of God and and the fact that I was considering this morning decisions. Have you thought much about the decisions that you have already made today? Do you know that you've already made some decisions today? Some of you got into some arguments about those decisions, right? You picked out a certain thing to wear, and you realized that your 16-year-old daughter had that shirt in her closet. And yeah, y'all, some of y'all know about that. I'm sorry I brought it back up. Uh, but in the Lord, there is healing and forgiveness, right? And so we've come to this place to worship Him. And I think about decisions that impact our lives. Think about this one. We sang about this song from the scriptures that says, the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, and may he turn his face to you and give you peace. And as you consider that from generation to generation, you made a decision today that really does have the potential to change and to transform and to impact generations. What I mean by that is, as I was singing that, both in 8.30 worship and here now at 10.15 worship, I was singing that in anticipation of your children, if you have them, and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. And as long as the Lord tarries, your decision to find yourself in the house of God with the people of God under the authority of the preached Word of God in the presence of the Spirit of God, it has the potential to transform not just your life, but because your life, It'll impact generation after generation after generation. And so thank you for making the decision to come out and to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now we're going to get right to the Word of God, all right, because some of y'all look like you're ready to eat right now. Some of you look hungry this morning. Maybe it's just me. I may be projecting this morning, all right? So if you have your Bible, go ahead and join me in the Old Testament book of Joshua. Make your way to the book of Joshua with me, if you will. And we're going to look at one verse from chapter 1, and then we're going to turn, this is going to be interesting, we're going to turn to the very end of Joshua, chapter 24, and look at about 24 verses. That's where we're going to focus, but we want to begin in Joshua chapter 1. Decisions. How many of you like making decisions? How many of you are the decision person, and if you're in a relationship, you're the the person who kind of is easy for you. Decisions are easy for you to make. Anybody? Just about five people in the room. All right. How many of you say then that, (laughs) I'm going to guess everybody's hands are coming up now. How many of you say that sometimes decision making can be very difficult? Raise your hand. Yeah. And uh, like this morning, some of you really had a situation about what you were going to wear. You know, in your mind, and your heart, you couldn't find it, and it's, it, it begins to be something new. Then you have things that are of more impact than what you're going to wear, but you have decisions like to, be, to get married or not get married. You have decisions to like uh, to, to take this career or take that career or, or to date this person or don't date this person or to have a child, children or not have children. You have all these decisions that just constantly come up. By the way, life is full of decisions. I'm telling you, every day, every hour, you have decisions, things that you are willing to do. And did you know there are a lot of decisions that we make that are things that we're not willing to do, right? We make decisions um, based on all kinds of things. Let me say to you that a good decision is generally based on uh, gathering information, okay? Now, we're not talking about sinful decisions, like should I sin or not? Because there's no information to gather except for I want to do it, and so I'm going to do it. And, uh, but I'm talking about decisions. So you, you, you gather information, and then you look into the information, and you, you want to be well-informed. How many of you, when you're going to, maybe you're going to purchase something, a grill, or you're going to purchase uh, some, some particular thing for the house, you are a researcher. Any of you a researcher? You Google it. You look, you look at reviews. You look at, man, I, I have people say, well, I'm thinking about, they'll, they'll give me this. I've already looked into that. This, got this review, and get this brand, and, and all of this information. But, but that is a well-informed decision. And truthfully, we should want to make well-informed decisions, okay? So Joshua is going to today lead the people of God to make a well-informed, life-changing, generational decision. And the cool thing is the same God that used Joshua to say that to the people is going to use me to say it to us. That's, that's amazing to me. Same message, different group of people, thousands of years later, and yet we'll have the same opportunity to make the same decision. The title of our message this morning, if you've got some notes prepared, or we're going to stand in just a minute, but if you have some notes prepared, write down the title. It is One Decision that changes everything. 
Now, last week we said one promise that changes everything. And we just sang about that different times, the faithfulness of God, the fact that he's going to be with us. And so remember, if you can think back to last Sunday, if you were here, if you weren't, you can go back on Facebook and watch that or on the Truth For Today podcast, and, and you can listen to the sermon that way. Um, but I, I want to remind you what we talked about last week was, was the fact that we're not always going to get healed from sickness. Do you all remember that? We said that the promise that changes things is not God's promise to always give us all the money that we want and the biggest houses and, and always be well. But we said there was a promise that changes everything, and that promise was simply God saying to man from Genesis to Revelation, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. And when you think about the magnitude of that, what we learned is that we're not always going to, it's not a guarantee if we follow Jesus that we won't get robbed and, and we, won't, things won't, we won't have a flat tire and we won't get cancer. Uh, we're not guaranteed any of those things. But what we are guaranteed, one promise that changes everything is that he promised with his children, I'm going to be with you all the way to the finish line. And what we talked about last week was that we need God to transform our way of thinking that the treasure is not the outcome of our situation, but that the treasure is the presence of God. Uh, Ryan spoke about it just a minute ago. The favor and blessing of God is not always the healing. It's not always the pregnancy. It is, in fact, the very presence, the intimate presence of God in our lives. And so today we're going to build on that. Now, the, the, now listen, we said that one promise that changes things is that God is with us. But today we're going to talk about one decision that changes everything, okay? Because, listen closely, God is not with everybody. Let me just sort of look around. Uh, let me say that to you again. Why is this morning's message so important to tie back into the one promise of last week that God's promise is always to be with us? Today is one decision that changes everything. So God has not promised to be with every person everywhere inside of them all the time. Now, God, because he's omnipresent, he is all places, but we're talking about on the inside of folk. There's only one group of people that, God's spirit resides in, and wherever they go, he is inside of them. And that is the group of people referred to in the Scripture as children of God or followers of Christ. Sometimes they're called disciples of Christ. Sometimes they're called Christian a few times in the Scripture. Um, but it's those people who have been born again. So if you're here today and you only have one birthday and not two, he's not with you everywhere you go inside of you. So I don't want you to leave out of here saying, man, I went to Hickory's and I so, feel so good about things because I always knew God was with me everywhere I went, and that's your prevailing thought. No, no, no. There's a decision that defines whether or not one decision changes everything, whether or not he's with you, inside you, everywhere you go. So let's get to it. You ready? Let's get right to it. Y'all excited as I am about a second time to preach this message? No, because you're only getting to hear it once. But I'm telling you, I'm as fired up now as I was early this morning. So I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet with me this morning in honor of reading God's word. Had somebody ask me this week, man, what's wrong with you? How do you stay excited about this word this many years and this many messages? I said, because it's living and active, and it's still working on me, and i got a long way to go. Anybody else can raise your hand and say, i still got a long way to go. Now, one more, one more show of hands. How many say, but you're a long way from where you used to be? Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful? Thanks be to God for the victory he gives us in Christ Jesus. If you're our guest while you're standing, I'm going to mess you up. Notice on the back of the chair when you get seated again, uh, there's one of these QR codes. I encourage you to take uh, the, just a second, give us some information so we can minister to you. That's what we're here for, okay? Joshua 1, verse 9. Moses has been leading the people of God. They are supposed to be crossing over a river into the promised land that God has for them. There are people occupying the place who will never turn to God. They have rejected, rejected, rejected. And so God says, I'm sending you. That's your place. You're going to defeat them. And yet Moses disobeyed God. And so Moses doesn't get to go over the river into the promised land. Instead, there's a new leader that's taken his place. His name, if you know it, say it. Joshua. Joshua has been raised up. He has been sp he spent time with Moses uh, in the tabernacle, and so we know that he knows what it means to walk with God, and God's raised him up now to be the leader. Now, they are, are challenged with, he's been tasked with taking this some one million to one and a half million people who've just left Egypt, and they're going to cross over the river into the promised land and defeat their enemies. Okay, what an, what an awesome journey. And what we're going to find is they have some wonderful victories, but we're going to also find they have some setbacks. I mean, you say that sounds like my life. Yeah, and we can relate. We can. And so as they're about to go over, uh, God is going to say in chapter 1, that promise that I, that I told you is in every, every book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. God is saying to Joshua, here's what you're going to do. And then right here in verse 9, he's going to tell him, here's how you're going to do it. Okay? Verse 9, you putting your eyes there? Have I not commanded you? What? All that I just said. Be strong 
and of good courage. Why? Because it would be a little intimidating to say, I'm going to send you over this river, you're going to fight all these people in the whole land. You don't even know where they are, you don't know who they are or how they fight, but you're going to beat them all. Do not be, help me all, afraid, nor be, that word dismayed is anxious, anxiety. Don't be overwhelmed with anxiety. For, and then he tells him how and why he's going to defeat the enemies and occupy the land. For the Lord your God, uh uh-oh, uh-oh, here it is. For the Lord your God, come on, all together like you mean it. For the Lord your God is wherever you go. I told you, it's everywhere. So God has promised Joshua, they're about to cross this land, but here's the thing. I'm with you. He didn't promise there weren't going to be some battles. He didn't promise there weren't going to be some uh, casualties. He didn't promise there weren't going to be some difficult days. But he did promise, I'm going to be with you. Everywhere your sole of your foot tries, I'm going to be with you. All right, now, fast forward to the end of the book, chapter 24. You said, man, that was a quick study through Joshua. Uh, Yeah, we're not going to go through all of that today. We're going to get to the finish line. All right, sometimes you have to race ahead, you know. And here we find the first part of the book. Now we find the second part of the book. Now, as you get to 24, I'm going to tell you a few things about 23 because they kind of go together. Now, it's at the end of Joshua's life. He's about to die. He says, I'm about to go the way of the fathers. In other words, he's about to die. So he gets everybody together, and he gives them one last challenge, one last sermon, if you will, from God. And what he says to them, looking back at chapter uh, 23, I'm going to read from verse 3. He says, you have seen all the Lord your God has done to all these nations. Your eyes have watched all those chapters that we skipped. You've watched God defeat your enemies. You've watched God give you victory. You've watched God correct you when you were wrong, pick you back up again. You've watched God go with you everywhere you've gone. Now, I'm going to read verse 14. He says, behold, I'm, I'm going the way of all the earth. He's about to die. And verse 14, he says, and you know, listen to this, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one single thing that has, that has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. Here's what he's saying. God has a perfect track record. He said, we've been on a long journey. We've not, we've not stayed near to him, but he stayed near to us. He said he was going to be with us everywhere we went, and he, in fact, has followed through. I'm about to die, but let's just be honest with each other. If, if anything happened in the negative, it wasn't God who let us down. It was us who let him down. He has followed us all the way to the finish line. Now, let's pick up in chapter number 24, and I'm going to read. You're, you're getting your listening, quick listening ears ready. 24 verses. You ready? Somebody say amen with a little excitement. All right, here we go, verse 1. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called the elders of Israel and their heads for their judges and their officers and their, uh, presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. So now Joshua is acting as God's mouthpiece to this large assembly. Thus says the Lord, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Thank you. Then I took your father. I took. God said through Joshua, I took your father, Abraham. Also at that particular time was known as Abram. Oh, some of y'all reading your Bible. Abram. I took Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also, verse 5, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt. According to what I did among them, afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians through the sea. uh, And the Egyptians brought the sea upon them and covered them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness for a long time. How long? Anybody know? Forty years. All right. Look at you guys. Y'all learned from that Exodus journey we took together. All right, verse 8, and I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them before, from before you. Then, now he's Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, he arose to make war against Israel. And he sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you, so I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over to the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Hivites, and the the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, and the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. Now listen to verse 13. I've given you a land for which you didn't labor, cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. And you eat the vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him, 
in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. And then he says emphatically with an exclamation point, say it with me, serve the Lord. And it seems evil, if it does, to you to serve the Lord. Choose for yourselves this day who you'll serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites on which land you dwell. But as for me and my house, Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. I mean, who would do such a thing? For the Lord our God is he who brought us out of the fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, what does Joshua respond? But Joshua said back to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is holy. He's a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, then your witness is against yourselves, and you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve, and his voice, y'all help me, we will obey. Look how you read through all them verses without getting tired. Let's pray. You ready? Father, we thank you today for energy, alertness. We thank you for health. God, we thank you for your spirit being present with us. Uh, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of preaching. We pray now, God, that you would... Take that gift in this less than ordinary guy and, Lord, put on display the great truth of your timeless word. And, Lord, as you do it through me, put on display that such a simple person as I proves you can use anybody any way you see fit. So, Lord, as you once again use the gift you've given me, would you preach this message in such a way that the most educated among us to the least among us, the simplest, could understand in such a way that we would take it in as a child seated at the table with our daddy, having breakfast together, as you feed us the word and nourish our souls, help us to listen, give us energy and focus, and we ask it in the wonderful and mighty name of Jesus, and the people of God said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. By the way, let me tell you, thank you for being here. You could have been out somewhere fishing or swimming or doing all kinds of things, and you chose to come and be here. So I don't want to waste one ounce of your, one minute of your time, rather, uh, as it's measured in minutes and not weights. Okay, so here we go. In your outline this morning, title is One Decision That Changes Everything. All right? Now, there are going to be, get ready, five Roman numerals, heavens. Can you believe that? And number one is going to have a list of four. And uh, if you're our guest, we do that because I've got some color-coded note-takers, and I just like to help them ahead of time. They get them all laid out, and they'll be ready to go, okay? Now, uh, what, is, what this is, the type of writing style this is in the Bible is called uh, Old Testament narrative, okay? Now, some of y'all looking at me like, I didn't want to hear that. I just came for you to, you know, get loud and get me excited and let me go home. No, no. I want you to be a people of the book. And so when you're studying the Bible, the type of writing it is is, is helpful in how you study, if it's wisdom or poetry or uh, Old Testament narrative, what is Old Testament narrative? It is the retelling of a historical event that happened way back there with spiritual learning for right now, okay? Now, you say, what do you mean? The New Testament says about the Old Testament, it was written for our admonition, which means our learning, okay? So don't ever believe that because you're a New Testament, New Covenant believer, the, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant doesn't have bearing and weight and things for you and me to learn. It is. They're both, they're both equal and pointing to the better of the two as in the coming of Jesus in the New Testament. So let's rewind back to verse number two and let me begin this journey. What we're going to do since this New Testament narrative is I'm going to give you like scenes, almost like scenes out of a movie, all right? So the first scene we're going to investigate, Roman numeral one, is going to be, all right, write this in your notes, Roman numeral one, the available information, okay? So... What's going to happen is Joshua is leading the people to a decision. He's leading them to a point in time where they have got to make a decision. Uh, I want you to think about something like, um, you know, maybe Monday night after work. And you're tired, both of you, from work. And if you're married, uh, you're riding. And one of you says, well, what do you want to do for supper? And the other one says, I don't know. And you say, okay, well, what do you want? And then they say, I don't care. And then the other, one of you says, well, what about Popeye's? And you say, oh, no, no, I don't like Popeye's. And, and they say, all right, okay. 
Well, how about, uh, uh, what, what about Taco Bell? No, I don't like Taco Bell. Okay, so you do care. No, I don't care. We can go anywhere. I just, you know, I just don't like Popeyes and Taco Bell. And, and so a situation happens where you, are, uh, you haven't gathered a lot of information. It's what I call spur of the moment. You know what I'm talking about? Spur of the moment decisions can get you into trouble. Uh, you, let me just tell you this. Go shopping and be hungry and see if it won't. You'll mess your budget up. I'm telling you right now, and you'll get home and think, what in the world did I buy? You know, you don't have anything for meals, but you got a whole bunch of snack food because you're starving when you. So we want to make, what Joshua is leading the people to make is a well-informed, he's going to take some time to develop the facts, <clears throat> the information that they need to make a decision. And by the way, God gave you a brain so that you can process information that leads you to a decision, Okay. Again, I want to highlight the fact that the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man go hand in hand. God is sovereign over the affairs. God paid for our salvation. It was his deal. He purchased us. He pursues us. He's the one who uh, gives us faith. He's the one that opens our understanding so that we can reveal who Jesus is and what he did on the cross for us and the power of the resurrection. But there comes a moment in time where you have to make a decision in the free will of man to respond to what God has done and what he's doing. And so today, we're going to see another example of that. And I tell you, the Bible teaches it from cover to cover. Joshua's going to present the evidence and then tell the people it's time to make a decision. I'm going to present the evidence, and then I'm going to also challenge every person in the room, even myself and those who are listening online, to make a decision. So here we go. You ready? Y'all ready to take the journey together? Some of you are like, I'm too tired. I'm leaving. Don't leave, all right? Hang on. Here we go. Roman number one, write this in your notes. Uh, the available information, there are going to be a list of four that he's going to go through as he presents the case. All right, so beginning in verse number two, number one, under Roman number one, four, list of four, number one, God desires his own special people. Write that down. This is a truth that it seems like hardly any Christians know or any Christians understand that, that God desires his own special people. We feel like somehow we misunderstood and we, 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 we believe this idea that God just wants us to go to heaven. And if we'll pray a prayer, then we'll just go to heaven and, and, and that's the deal. But there's so much more to it. He, he really desires his own special people to interact with, uh, to transform, to put on display in the backdrop of darkness in the world to show who he is through ordinary, less than ordinary people like me and like you. So let's see where I found it in the text, okay? Put your eyes back on verse number. And this is going to be verses 2 through 4. So Joshua says to the people, thus says the Lord God to your fathers, including Terah, and your father, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor. He, they dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. But God, look in verse 3, he took your father Abraham from the other side of the river and led him away from all of that. Do you remember the occurrence? Uh, if you look back in the book of Genesis, he goes by the name Abram and later known as Abraham. And God says to Abram, come out of Ur. I want you to come out of what you're comfortable with. I want you to come out of your, he'd been there, he's some 70 years old or older. And as he's there, God says, I want you to come away. And I'm not going to show you where you're going. I just want you to follow me and trust me. And it was the very beginning that he promised to Abram, the Abrahamic covenant, he was going to make him a nation of people that were more than the sands on the seashore. What's the point? The point is there were a whole bunch of people living at that time, but God didn't want a whole bunch of average people. He wanted a special people to call his own. He wanted a group of people who would say, I belong to him and he belongs to me. He wanted a group of people who would say, I'm not just going to pray a prayer, but Jesus is really going to become Lord of my life and God is going to be priority one. And because of that, I'm going to love people different. I'm going to live different. I'm not going to look like every average Joe. I'm going to be uh, totally a light shining in the darkness. And we've, I'm telling you, we failed to, to see that in this decision-making process. So the first fact he makes is, read along with me. He, he said, there were people everywhere, but God wanted his own special people. And I want you to understand that salvation is not God just wanting you to pray a prayer so you can go to heaven. He's wanting to start a, an intimate, what Ryan talked about, an intimate relationship with you where you're spending time with him and he's spending time with you and he's helping you to stay on a path that he can bless and he's enriching your life and letting you be a blessing to other people. And I'm telling you, he's got this wonderful journey for me. And, you know, let me ask you to write this verse in your notes there, okay, if you're keeping notes here. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. I'm going to show you this. It's not just an Old Testament principle. It's a New Testament principle. Here it is, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Listen closely. But you, talking to believers, are a chosen generation. Listen to what he says, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God is still striving to get across to the hearts and minds of man that we're not supposed to blend in. 
that we're not supposed to be who we used to be, that we're not supposed to just sort of be the average guy, the average gal, but that we are his and we ought to live accordingly. You're holy, you're special, you're set apart. Let me read a little further in this 1 Peter 2.9. He says, his own, I love it, read along, a holy nation, his own special people. This is very valuable information as we head to the decision. We start at this place. God desires his own special people. We got that? Can I move on? Yes? All right. Boy, y'all participate when I say move on. All right, so here we go. No, number one, God desires his own special people. Joshua made it clear. He did that. All right, number two. It's found in verses five through seven. Next bit of information that helps us make this decision. God delivers from unconquerable enemies. Now, I want you to make it plural there, okay? In my notes, I have it singular, and I make mistakes all the time. But I want you to put the unconquerable enemies, okay? Can you do that? Will you write that in your notes? Unconquerable enemies. Let me show you. In verses five, through seven. I also sent Moses and Aaron as I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So you remember what happened. They got over there. They were in the, in the people, and all of a sudden, uh, the, the pharaohs began to be taskmasters, and they treated them as slaves. And so God sends Moses and Aaron and sends these plagues, and Pharaoh's not going to have it. And then finally, we have what we refer to as the Passover, where the 10th t- plague was that firstborn child died of every home that didn't have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And when that happened, remember Pharaoh's people said, y'all go. Remember, we said that he said, y'all get out of here. And they gave him gold, remember, earrings, and said, y'all get on your way. But then, then he changed his mind. And as they were leaving, as they were leaving, the Pharaoh and his chariots, his deadly uh, horsemen, if you will, go in pursuit. Now, the people of God are traveling, and in front of them uh, is the Red, the Red Sea. And behind them is Pharaoh's army, and either one is an enemy. Are y'all tracking with me? You say, how could the ocean be an enemy? Try to swim across it. See how you fare. And so there before them was an enemy, and behind them was an enemy, and here's what he said God did. He said, God caused the darkness to come between you and the Egyptians, and he spaced y'all out a little bit. He parted the Red Sea, got y'all through, and closed the sea back on your enemies. Here, what is he saying? He's saying that. Some, before you make this decision I'm about to ask you to make or challenge you to make, I need you to know, first of all, God desires a special people set apart for himself. But secondly, I need you to understand something about God. God is the only one who can conquer unconquerable enemies. Can I tell you this morning, Exhibit A, you have two unconquerable enemies. You have one on the outside, you have one on the inside. The external enemy is Satan and all of his legion of demons, and they operate the systems of the world, all right, according to the Scripture. You have one enemy on the inside. Anybody know who that is? Self. It's the nature of Adam. If you want to get theologically beautiful, you can say the Adamic nature. It's the nature we were born with, passed down from our parents way back in the garden. And that attitude, if I summed it up into one statement, it's this, I know better. That's the attitude of Adam. God said, eat of all these trees and bushes. It's all yours, fruits and vegetables and vines and berries, some crunchy, some salty, some sweet, some bitter. Enjoy them all. They're all for your pleasure. I want you to enjoy them. They're yours. Only this one dawn. And Adam and Eve, upon listening to the serpent, said, we know better. And boy, what a mess we've been in ever since. Wouldn't you agree with me that when you and I decide that we know better than God, we find ourselves in some very, very difficult situations? Anybody can amen that besides me? Boy, I've taken myself into some spots that I knew better. I knew better. So uh, God delivers from an unconquerable enemy. Now let me give you a verse again from the New Testament. We're going back and forth, Old Testament, New. Here's the New Testament scripture, Colossians 1 and verse 13. Colossians 1 and verse 13. Here's what it says. Speaking about God, he has delivered us, here it is, from the power of darkness, somebody help me, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. We've been moved. Jesus has relocated us. Those of us who've been born again are no longer in the, in the kingdom of darkness. We've been relocated into the kingdom of light. So we have an unconquerable enemy, sin and self and right, and, and, then, and then Satan, and Jesus on the cross. The scripture says he publicly embarrassed them on the cross as he bled and died. You say, how could he embarrass them? Because it was Satan who entered into the heart of Judas who carried out the crucifixion, which was the key contributor to God getting inside somebody like me. Hallelujah. He embarrassed them. He embarrassed Y'all will get that one later. He embarrassed them by using their own move to produce a checkmate for the eternal human soul. That now because of Satan's little move of entering Judas' heart, I now am set free for eternity, and he lives inside me. Wow, what a Savior. So God delivers from an unconquerable enemy. Unconquerable enemies. Number three, therefore, number three, 
Joshua is just still proving the case before he gets to the choice. By the way, informed decisions are the best decisions, okay? So, God desires his own special people. I heard somebody this week, let me just kind of just say this to that. They said, I went to this, uh, this, this VRBO, this, this rental place, and we didn't read the reviews or anything. We got there, and it didn't have a bathroom. And I was like, good night. Uh, I'm telling you, informed decisions are the best decisions, okay? So, information. Number one, God desires his own special people. Number two, God delivers from an unconquerable enemy. Number three, God supplies power. God supplies power for daily victory. Daily victory. Now listen, after they crossed the Jordan River and they defeated Jericho, was that the last time they were going to need victory from God? No. How many days of their life were they going to need God to continue to give them victory? Every single day. What's true about you? Let me ask you, did you only need victory from God when you got saved? Have you still had some battles within yourself with decisions and things along the journey? Sure you have. Every single one of us have. It's that war of the flesh and the spirit. They're contrary to each other. And so we don't just need the victory that Jesus offers us for eternal salvation, but we need the victory he offers for us in daily victory, right? Daily victories, okay? So these verses are going to be, look with me, verses 8 through 12, okay? 8 through 12. So we're just reading along, and we're learning as Joshua is building the camp. By the way, Joshua would have made a great lawyer, wouldn't he? I mean, he's laying, the, he's laying it down thick on the information side, all right? Verse 8, and I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you, but I gave them into your hand that you might possess the land. Then Balak, son of Zippor, you know, king of Moab, he, he tried to curse you through, uh, through, through Balaam, but I didn't listen. So I delivered you. What is he saying? He said, then you went, verse 11, then you went on over to jo the Jordan to Jericho. He said, every step of the way, I've given you deadly victories. That's what Joshua was saying to him. Hey, you first have to make a decision. But you need to make the decision based on the fact that God desires a holy, special people. You need to make a decision on the fact that only God can conquer unconquerable enemies. And you need to make this decision based on the fact that God offers for me and you daily, daily victories. Okay, number four, number four. Look at verse number 13. And I want to just read one verse, and here it is, number four. Fourth truth he's going to share with them on this decision-making is that God gives it all to us by grace. God gives it all to us by grace. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? I told my children when they were younger, I said, if you'll ever watch a group of people and you'll watch them sing Amazing Grace or a song about grace, uh, younger people will smile and sing, you know, if they like the rhythm, if, but older people... Anything that has to do with singing about grace, amazing grace, I'm telling you something, you watch their faces, their soul is moved. You know why I believe that to be the case? The older you get, the more you realize how much you've relied on the grace of God because you've really messed some things up along the way. Huh? Isn't that true? The more I live, I said, man, I've royally messed some things up over the years, and he was good to me anyway. My goodness. So you sing a little different when you think about the amazing grace of God. Okay, look with me in verse number 13 where he tells them, Joshua is still speaking on God's behalf to the people. Verse 13, I have given you a land for which you, oh, so they didn't earn it, and cities with which you didn't build, and you're living in them. And he goes on to say, and you eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you, what's he saying in verse 13? I've given you all this by grace. You didn't earn it. I gave it to you. And I want you to think for a minute about making a decision that what God is offering to me and you, there's a decision to be made, and it should be made based upon the grace of God, that you and I don't have to earn his favor, that we cannot, in fact, be good enough on our own, and that God is not up there expecting us to live a perfect life in hopes that someday we might get into heaven. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that makes me happy, um, that he didn't let it fall on us to live a certain kind of life to get in. Um, but instead, he made a way, and he's offered me. And I want you to think for just a minute about the wonderful benefits of being a child of God. If heaven is the only thing on your list, man, my heart breaks for you. Uh, because way before I get home, I have the Holy Spirit. I have a family of faith, a bunch of knuckleheads like me, of all different shapes and sizes, right? Weirdos like me, man. We're weird. We all like weird things, and that's just different. It's not negative. It's good. And, and I think about all the wonderful benefits. He's given me a family. He's given me people that, uh, that he's given me a platform, a, pre, a gift to preach. He's given me, he's been so good to me. And so this all ought to feed into this decision that we're about to be led to make. So God gives it all to us by grace. He offers salvation, can I tell you, simply by grace. There's not a person in heaven that deserves to be there apart from God himself. We get in by the same vehicle, and that vehicle is 
Grace. It's the grace of God. Okay, now moving on to number two. See, we just covered one. We only have five. We're one-eighth of the weight. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Number two, these will go a lot quicker. Number two, we're going to look at the, call, the section we're going to call the decision. So first was the information, the available information. That was the first scene. He laid it out, laid it out thick. Now he's going to call them to the decision, okay? So you've heard it. It's all laid out on the table. All the information is in front of you. And now, uh, I love this about what we learn in the Word of God. Uh, God is a God who made us with the ability to have free will. We, have, we get to make a decision. We don't have to. There are consequences either way, good and bad, but the information is laid out, and now we need to make a decision. Let's see what it is. Okay, y'all tracking with me, somebody? Amen? All right, verse 14 and verse 15. So he said, I'm giving you these things by grace. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. And then lastly, say this last sentence, summing it up. Serve the Lord. He says, you've got all this information. This is who God is. This is what God has done. He, he, by the way, I can't get past the first one. Why would God want me in you? I mean, think you've ever really done anything that the God of, of the universe, of, who made heaven and earth, would want you? But it's, it, I don't, maybe you think you're pretty special. I don't know. I just am amazed that God wants me. And I pray I never get over that. And I'll tell you this, I'm amazed he wants you too. Don't think I'm just thinking about me. I'm thinking about you too. I'm surprised that God wants us, but he does. And really, I could, I could stop the case there and say, now it's time to make a decision. But humans are hard-headed, and we, we like what we like. And we say that God delivers from the unconquerable enemy. We think we can fight him on our own. We, you know, we just try harder. And we learn that God supplies power for daily victory. We think, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just try harder. And God gives it to us by grace. Some of us really feel like we've earned it, you know. So the decision, here's what he says. The decision is that they must, he's demanding that they would fear God and serve him in sincerity and truth. Now, he, what he's not saying is, come join a church and sit on a chair. He, what he's saying is, in effect, and if it translates from here, thousands of years down the road to the new covenant, God is still saying, you've got to make a choice. You can't serve two masters. There can only be one person in the captain's chair of your life. Matter of fact, double occupancy, two kings, is a lie. It's, it's impossible. It doesn't work. And Jesus said it this way. You either hate one and love the other or, or vice versa. You can't love both of them, especially when, especially when the master of our flesh is heading away from God and the master of God's spirit is heading to God. They're completely diabolically opposite to one another. That's why we have such wars raging on the inside. And so he says, now it's time to make a decision. And notice the decision is not, all right, now, you've heard all of this evidence about God. Here's the decision. Will you decide to pray this prayer? But instead, what he says is, if I was to boil it down, is will you decide to surrender your life completely over to God? Will you sign the title deed over to King Jesus? Will you take everything that is yours, your agenda, your plans, your resources, all of that, your time, and slide it over to the authority of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings? And I want you to think for just a minute about how automatically we get a little unsettled when we start talking about that. And I'm afraid as we walk through this, we're going to, hear, we're going to have some other similarities with the, with the people. And so he, he says to them, but now I want you to notice one last thing about verse 14, okay, the decision. There's a decision. We must make a choice. There is no neutrality. Y'all tracking with me? Uh, we must make a choice to surrender ourselves fully to the Lord. Lastly, he says in verse 14, notice the last three-word sentence. Now, most of us know in here about grammar and punctuation. And I want you to notice at the end of verse number four, there's no question mark. Did you notice that? Anybody notice that besides me when you're reading through there? See, this is what it would look like in our day and time. Now, look how good God is. All that time he's talked, talked about how good God is. And then the next, the, next, uh, the next question would be, now, will you please? Won't you consider? But what do you see at the end of that? What's the punctuation mark you notice at the end of that verse? Now, how do you say things when you say them with an exclamation point? with certainty and force, and it would look something like this. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Can you imagine? Now, some of us right now, notice there's no question. There's no, no choice being given now. Isn't it interesting? Right now, some of us get offended by that right away. We don't like that idea of God. 
our flesh wants to have a choice, and we want, to be, we want it to be, you know, coddled, and we want it to be softly delivered to us, and yet he has delivered the information about who God is, and now he stands flat-footed and looks them in the eyes and says, now you need to make a choice. Serve God. It's the only reasonable response. Now, we're going to come back to that in just a minute. Okay, moving forward. That was number two. Let me say this to you. God should never be in second place in my life. I didn't say he wasn't. I didn't say he wasn't. I said he should never be. And I want to tell you one that the Lord has really pressed on my heart the last few years. Nor should he be tied for first place. And a lot of us could say that he's not in second place, but we'd have to admit that he's, there are others in our life that we love just as much and we, we, we commit to serve just as much. And matter of fact, where you can tell the difference is when sometimes following Jesus will draw a line in your relationship with somebody, which side of the line are you willing to walk on? You know, when we were little, we sang the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. One part of that song said, though none go with me. We sang it as little children, but we've not really followed through with that as adults. I have decided to follow Jesus, unless my wife doesn't like it. Unless my husband doesn't go to church with me and doesn't support me. Unless my children want to just sleep in and, you know, go to the lake and what have you. Unless that's not the popular music of the day. Unless it involves, like, telling other people my story because I'm shy. Unless, 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 unless. He said, serve him with sincerity and truth. Now, let me move on if I can. Are you ready? So, what is their response? Number three in your outline, all right? This is just the easy response. Put that in your notes, verse 16 to 18, and watch how this unfolds. I'm going to say that they give him the response of emotional lip service. Do you ever say things just because of emotion? You ever say things, you ever write a check with your mouth that you can't cash? With your actions, right, because you're moved and you want to help? And my grandfather always told me, don't start something you don't willing to continue to do over and over and over again. You can get yourself in a mess sometimes, can't we? When our mouths overload, what do you say? Our, our mosquito mouth overloads, our alligator mouth over, overloads our mosquito tail, something like that. And uh, we have to be careful about emotional response. So what did they say? They said, yes, of course. Y'all reading with me? Verse number 16 to 18. So the people answered, you reading? Far be it from us that we would forsake the Lord. But they already were. That was the whole point. The whole point of what Joshua's doing is the fact that they were already doing it. It wasn't so far. Matter of fact, they were presently doing it. But, but sometimes emotions will get the best of it. And you'll promise God things. And Come on, I know somebody here besides me has done that. And the motion, and boy, you'll get to crying, and you'll, you'll hit the altar and just, oh, and be crying, be a mess. Have your makeup all messed up, and then leave out of here and forget any of that. Monday come along, and that's the furthest thing in the rearview mirror. And so they said, because listen, what were they going to say to Joshua? We ain't doing that. They're not that bold. They said, oh, far be it from us. We would never do that. Let's read the verse again together. So the people answered, verse 16, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought. Now they go to repeating what he said. Yeah, he's the Lord. We wouldn't do that. I mean, we know that God did this for us. We know that God did that for us. We would never do that. And I love Joshua's answer, which is number four in your outline. Look how quick you're going through this thing. I love Joshua's answer. Y'all know sometimes I tell you I love those verbal train wrecks. I like to watch people sometimes, and somebody says something, nobody knows what to say back. I love those moments, just to look around, let everybody feel awkward for a minute. Yeah. You find out a lot about people in those awkward moments. So what happens in verse 19? Joshua says back. Now, now track with me. They're saying, oh, yes, we would never do that, and, and, uh, and, and we would, we're going to worship. God's done all this stuff for us. We would never. We, oh, man, God is everything. And Joshua says back to them, you can't. You can't. Y'all reading with me? It's not up there, is it? It's coming. It's coming. You see it, verse 19? But Joshua said to the people, read with me, you cannot serve the Lord. Now, wait a minute, Joshua. Leave that up there for me, if you will. Wait a second, Joshua. You just told us that we have to. And we just responded, based on the evidence, because, I mean, it's clear, we will. We would never not serve him. Joshua said, you can't. You can't. Not, not that way. Not one foot in, one foot out. 
Not every other Sunday. Not only when people are looking. You can't fool God like that. He's worth more. He's worth, listen to me. He's worth more than lip service. He's worth more than emotional response at an altar once in a while. He's worth more. I wish somebody would pick up what I'm putting down this morning. Verse 19, you cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He's holy. He's above anything you could ever wrap your mind around. He is a jealous God. Let's talk for a minute about this statement. He is a jealous God. I need you to understand the concept here of God's jealousy for us, not of us. To be jealous for us or of us, rather, to be jealous of us would mean that you and I could do something that God couldn't do and he would be jealous. Or we could have something that God couldn't have and he would be jealous of, the, of, for, of that. You with me? But instead, the, the principle here is that God is jealous for us, meaning, meaning, here, simply put, he wants all of your love and affection. Now, I didn't think your love and affection, my love and affection was that strong because we love ice cream, right? Until we get sick, then we stop, you know? So it's interesting to me that if I'm loving him and I'm putting a little extra, but, but something over here is drawing my attention away from him, he's jealous of that. He wants all of that. And I, I don't get that because, I, you know, I, but he's God and I'm not. So he's a jealous God. Matter of fact, I heard a I heard a, a segment from Oprah Winfrey a number of years ago. She used to claim to be a follower of Christ, but then she said, I just can't really wrap my mind around. I heard a sermon one time where the preacher said that God is a jealous God, and I just couldn't get with that. And let me just extend this to you, whether you can get with it or not. He's God and you're not. And listen, listen to this statement. Now, this stings a little bit, but it's true. Our belief does not validate truth. It was before us. It will be after us. So he is a jealous God. Matter of fact, he's expressed it to us very plainly here. So when we're thinking about the clarifying call, they're, what they're trying to do is they say, okay, yes, we want to do that, but we also want to do the other. We want to do a little bit of both, you see. And uh, I believe that, that we would say our day and time, we can relate to those people. We really want our cake and to eat it to them. And what good is having a cake sitting there on the counter if you can't eat it too, Right? And so that's our mentality, and, and I'm, especially in this wonderful nation in which we live. We don't want to be told what to do, and we want to have it our way. Burger King, right? Our way right away. And God doesn't fit into that little small mold. Um, he's, here's the word. He's, he's better. He's better than our hopes and ideas. He's better than our way of living. He's above all of that. And, and what he's telling them is you guys have got to make a decision, and it can't be a lighthearted decision. And so today as I presented the evidence to you, I'm saying to you that every single one of you, every man, woman, boy, and girl, including myself, have a decision to make today, and you're thinking that you've already made it, and some of you are like, well, the evidence is easy, and so I'm there, man. Yes, I'm all in, but you need to slow down the train just a little bit and consider what he's saying. This ain't about lip service or emotional movement. This is about something much deeper and much greater. It's about personal surrender, all in. Not one foot in, one foot out. Not every other Sunday, but a full commitment to say, here's my life. Here's my time. Here's my resources. Here's what I'm good at. Here's my company. Here's, the, here's, my, here's my company that I work for. Here's my, what do you want to use it for? Show me. I'm in. I'm, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I do it, try to do both, I get so nauseous. It's so miserable to try and blend in a little bit of him with the, with the rest of the world. I'm telling you, some of you in here think you've tasted and seen. You have no idea. When you push that stuff to the side and you say he's going to be number one above all things, I'm telling you, you cannot imagine how fun it is to live when he is everything and all things. And you're willing to make some people upset. And you're willing to chart a path on your own, walking with your hand in the nail-scarred hand of Jesus. You're willing to tell your testimony to mere strangers. And you're praying without ceasing as you're driving down the road, as you're working, as you're going about your day. You're talking to him, and he's talking to you. I'm telling you, you're missing out because you're trying to blend them. You can't blend them. That's why you don't hear him. That's why you don't feel the power of God and the Spirit directing and seeing miracles. And I'm begging you today, it's time to make the choice. You have to make it. Mama can't make it for you. Daddy can't make it for you. Husband can't make it for you. Wife can't. Your best friend, your single buddies. Listen, nobody can make it for you. Only you. Only you. The decision. Their easy response was lip service. Number four, I didn't give it to you. It's the clarifying call. 
Joshua clarified it. It's not as simple as you saying with your mouth, yeah, I, I give it all to Jesus. It's much deeper. It has to be authentic and provable by action. Finally, verse 21 to 24. Y'all read with me? Can you believe we've gotten there? Yeah, because we missed lunch already, didn't we? Verse 21. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will. We will. Notice that we will is a future tense. Do you see that? I want you to think about it. In the beginning, their first answer was, we, we are worshiping God. Far be it from us, we would never not. When Joshua clarified what it really looks like, who God really is, they came back and said, what? We will. We're not, but we will. Somebody here today needs to declare, I'm not, but I will. I've not been really walking with him, but I will. I've not really surrendered my marriage to him, but, 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 but we will. I'm not really the shining example of a young person who knows Christ in the summertime, but, but today I'm making a decision, I will. I will. Let me read a little further. So Joshua said to the people, you're witnesses against yourselves. You have chosen the Lord. See, you get to choose. Serve him, is what he said. Serve him. And we are, they responded by saying, yes, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart. So somebody said to me, how am I going to do that? How do I make the decision? You've got to, in, you've got to put away some things you're hanging on to, and you've got to incline your heart toward God. Now, here's the, those two go hand in hand. There's some things in your life and my life that we're hanging on to that we really enjoy uh, that are keeping us from being fully committed to Christ. Now, let me just look at you for a minute. I see a couple nodding heads, and I see a bunch of people looking at the carpet. Don't look at the carpet. We're in this together. There is something, whether it's a person, whether it's work, whether it's a career, whether it is popularity, there's something that we're trying to hold in our hand while we're with one hand holding on to God, with the other hand we're holding on to that, false, that little trinket God that these people were holding on to. For some of us it's substances. And we're still trying to blend the two. And I remember a time in my life when I was trying to blend the two. Over 20 years ago, the day I drank my last beer, I think I've shared this story with you all, but I'm going to share it again. I'm on the way home. I stopped and bought that, what I did every day, a 24-ounce beer to drink a half-mile stretch to the house. I get into my truck. I crank it. I start leaving. And the Lord whispers to me this, why are you drinking that? My response was what most of our response is. I'm only having one. Funny thing, people come to me all the time about consuming alcohol. They say, well, I'm not over drinking. I say, well, wait a minute. First of all, I didn't say anything to you about that. So what do you think compelled you to want to come tell me? And so as we think about it, a spirit said, why are you drinking that? And my answer was, I'm only having one. You know what? He said it again. Can you believe God? He said, Why? Are you drinking that? And I thought, okay, yeah, why doesn't really compute with two, does it? And so my answer to him was, because I've been laying asphalt all day, and I'm going home, and Tina's been with Riley all day, and Riley's going to have 4,715 questions for me, and there's going to be things to do at the house, and I'm already tired of fooling with people, and so this one is just going to calm me down a little bit and knock the edge off and bring me a little peace. And I thought, boy, I presented my case so well. Because it was from my heart. It wasn't a lie. I was drinking one for that very reason. And then the voice of God whispered this back to me. That's what I am supposed to be for you. And I remember, you're talking about a transformation. I remember looking down in that cup holder and thinking, wow, I saw, little, 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 I saw God written on the can. It wasn't, but I did. In my mind, I saw a little G-O-D. And in that moment, he showed me what the problem was. It wasn't drunkenness. It was the fact that I was trying to knock the edge off and find a, you know, a little more mellow, calm spot that the Spirit of God is supposed to be. I was leaning on the wrong God. And so I've told you guys this before. I littered that day. And uh, I think the statute of limitations are off. I don't think they can get me for it now. Uh, but I pulled over and left it on the side of the road, and that was the last one after a lot of time spent. Uh, leaning on the wrong God. I want, you to, I want you to understand something today. There are some decisions that need to be made in some lives in this room and are listening out there. 
that nobody else can help you with, that nobody else can make, that nobody can talk you into, that nobody can talk down to you about. They're decisions that are one-on-one, meaning between you and the Lord. And they are in the way. Listen, it's like we're holding on to this one little God in our hand, and we're trying to hang on to the one true God with the other hand. And what he wants us to do is turn loose to the one and grab onto him with, oh, listen to me, with both hands. Not just both hands, but wrap our loving arms around him. And some of us, some of us, listen, you know who, you know, all right, I'm going to boil it down. You know really who that little God that we hold in the other hand is? It's ourself. It's ourself. The reason that we drink alcohol for such purposes, it's ourself. The reason we uh, have sex outside marriage and the confines of what God has it for, it's for ourselves. We're the little God we're holding on to. And we think God's okay with it. And the reason we think God's okay with it is because it feels good to us in the moment. And that makes us our own God. And he's jealous of that. He desires to be the one true God that governs and guides and empowers me and you all the way to the finish line. Now, what I want to do is invite you just to, are you ready? Just to look at me. And I tricked you. I want you to look me right in the eyes. And I just want to kind of look around. There's a bunch of y'all, by the way. I've got to kind of move around a little bit. And I want you to think about the, the, the information that's been presented this morning about God. Those first four things that we said. Y'all tracking with me? Can you think back that far? The first four things that we said about God. And my question for you logically is this. All together as a group, but you have to answer individually. All right? How many of you think, based on those four statements about God, that he is worth total surrender? Raise your hand. If you think that's true, based on those first four facts that we said about God. Okay. The fact that God is, desires his own special people. The fact that, for those that couldn't remember, delivers us from unconquerable enemies. That he supplies power for daily victory and that he does it all by grace. Based on that information, you'd say it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. Have you ever heard of that? No-brainer. The information is so overwhelming, it's a no-brainer. I don't have to think, yes, he deserves my everything. But here's the next question. Do you think you've really given it to him? Now, I'm just asking you in your chair. It's not between me and you. It's not between you and anybody else. It's just for you in this moment to sit where you're at and consider your life, not compared to somebody else's life, but just your life, your relationship with God. And can you say, based on how you make disciples, how you love people, how you serve the Lord with your talents, your time, you know, you give and you serve and you, for the glory of God. Based on that, do you feel like that you've given him everything, that you've turned it all over to him? Or, or is there somebody in the house this morning like me that feels like maybe you have some things in this other hand? I'm going to just ask you something bold and courageous right now with, with heads not bowed and eyes open. How many of you like me would say that I believe there's some things in my other hand that I'm hanging on to from time to time? Just about 10 of it? No? Okay, more. I love that. We put this hand down here when we, we start getting honest about the ugly things. Listen, we don't have to play games. We're all in this thing together. And I believe there's some things in our hands today that we could let go of if we would really surrender them to the Lord. And I'm just, you know, I woke up this morning, I woke up, I got out of bed, I was like, man. I, you know, I tell you about a, lot, a lot about potential. What's the potential of this message for generations if everybody in this room, look at this, 550-something seats in here. Look at all these people and those who are listening out there and those who will be listening to the podcast very soon. If every one of us says, you know what, I don't care if anybody else does, I've decided to follow Jesus. And I'm not talking about following Jesus according to the American standard. I'm not talking about following Jesus caring about how like my mom and daddy did it. I'm talking about reckless abandon. Come what may. He's so good and gracious and kind to search me out, to pay my price, to purchase me, to redeem me, to set me free, I'm in, baby. I'm in. Everything I have, everything that I am belongs to him. And I'm turning it over today. So here's what I want to ask you now, if you would bow your head for just a moment, okay? Bow your head for just a moment. And I'm going to ask you not to be moving around and, unless you just absolutely have to. Because I believe with all my heart there's a big decision that's about to be made in the hearts of every person here, including my own. The decision is to go all in. To stop playing around. To stop playing games. To stop trying to mingle it together and figure out why something feels missing and why things feel out of order and why there's no power of God on your life. And instead today to say, based on the evidence, it's a no-brainer. I'm all in. Yes. I don't want these things I've been holding on to because, listen, they've not yet gotten me there. So my question in the series is this. If you're here today 
And you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you've been born again. You, you can go back and remember where you were and what was going on when the Spirit of God showed you who Jesus is, what he did, and you surrendered and invited Jesus to come and be Lord. You got off the throne of your heart and Jesus got on, and you can remember that, and you know for certain you're born again. I want you to raise your hand if you say, I know for certain that I am a child of the living God without the shadow of a doubt. Okay, now, as hands are raised, I want you to hold them up for just a minute, okay? I just want to pray for you. Lord, I pray that decision would transform every area of their lives, mine included. Okay, you can put your hands down. How many of that group? How many of that group would say, somewhere along the way, some things have gotten in the way? Somewhere along the way, just slip your hand up. Some, somewhere along the way, some things have gotten in the way. And I'm, I'm not really fully committed to him. I'm not really fully surrendered. I'm not making disciples, so I know I'm not fully surrendered. And so you'd raise your hand. Okay, thank you for that. Lord, I pray for those today whose hands are raised. That whatever it is, it's in the other hand. That we would release them. We'd let them go. Lord, we would believe that right now for the person who's in this room who's struggling with some type of addiction that feels like there's some long journey that has to be had to find healing and freedom would understand that today with simply a touch, the Lord Jesus can heal and remove. God, I pray for that person right now. You know who they are that you've placed on my heart. I don't know them, but it's heavy on my heart. I pray they would believe right now that Jesus could deliver them if they laid at his feet making no provision for the flesh, but emptying our hands and holding on to the hem of Jesus' garment. Lord, I pray for the one who alcohol is in the way, that drugs are in the way. I pray for the one who work has gotten in the way. 